What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to Rice, Asian comedy podcast, where we share the Asian perspective on entertainment, culture, and trending topics. On today's episode, we will be discussing democracy versus communism, and is democracy failing, and what happens if it does fail? Um, We'll also be talking about the movie... um, Always Be My Maybe by Ali Wong and our featured um, our featured Asian stand-up comedian of the week is Jen Sicado, who just had her album released a few weeks ago titled The Dozen. So I am your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay super cute Asians. And along with me is Jennifer Shung. Hello, everybody. Leonard Chan. Go vote. And Sebastian D. Chow. Hey, hey. Cool. So this is our very first time live streaming the podcast taping. So thank you for bearing with us while we got all our equipment together. And we only started seven minutes late, so it wasn't too bad at all. Um, If you're on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, just send us some comments and we will try and get to comments later um, if there's no technical difficulties. So let's start on our very first topic. And our main topic today is protecting democracy and why democracy is important. So I, I, I will answer just on a personal note. The reason why I wanted to do this topic is because my parents fled fled Laos when the when the communist um, government was coming in, and we fled to a refugee camp in Thailand. And I was born on the way there, and then we came to Canada, basically for democracy. So democracy is very important to me, and I don't want it to fail. But right now, it kind of is failing, and the one major superpower in the world, in the U.S., um, their democracy there's all kinds of things going wrong. So that will be our first topic. Um, So um, basically, we just want to talk about where did the U.S. go wrong, what factors um, and players led to its erosion, and how U.S. democracy is different um, than Canada and Europe slash Australia. Let's head on over to Leonard for his thoughts on what the hell is going on in the U.S., Oh, they fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Uh, Yeah, man. I mean, I think it all, I mean, you could could say it all started with the constitution, right? Because I mean, America is not really a democracy. Okay. It's a federal republic. So it's just like 50 countries, like pretending to be one big country. So um, so it's a little bit screwed up. Uh, But really, I think like everything started declining after World War II. They're like, we're going to rest on our laurels, man. And we're going to sit here, we're going to overeat and we're going to buy a lot of guns and we're not going to crack a single book. Uh, (laughs) They've been defunding education. They're like the record levels of obesity, huge military. I mean, and then, yeah, and the defunding the education is not... I feel like that's probably one of the biggest problems right now because nobody can think critically over there, you know, and that's kind of, I mean, not that, you know, Russian propaganda isn't really advanced, but I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're, you're saying it's all because of the Russian bots. No, 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 no. That, that, the Russian bots is like, it's just like a byproduct of a process that started a long time ago. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's uh, you know the, the we can we can get into it a bit, but like the whole like the three 
you know, the the the, the house, the uh, like the three. Yeah, Why am the, I having trouble house, with words? Executive. The, Thank yeah, you. The, the executive branches. The, <laughs> the house, the senate, <laughs> and the uh, presidency. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we're seeing it right now. How like if, if the executives a little bit. And, you know, a handful of senators, they can pretty much hijack the entire country. Mm. So, Mitch McCullough, Mc- McDonald, McConnell. McDonald. Sorry. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I definitely. Devolving. A Kentucky senator, basically. <laughs> oh, Mitch McConnell. Oh, the turtle. Yes. Yeah, he's McConnell. a turtle. He's, he's not Colonel Sanders. Get that out of He's a. He's, uh... Yeah, you know, He's a I, turtle man. You know, I, I definitely think Long it's neck. interesting. You know, I'm staying on the topic of their three branches of government, and it really does differ from Canada because in Canada, obviously, we have a representational government, and a, and you know, we have a very clear party that's in power. Obviously, right now, it's a minority government, um, and thankfully for us comedians, um, the Liberals needed the NDP's vote to. Um, pass the um, to pass mm. their latest uh, uh, what is it Canadian Emergency Response Benefit yes. or something yeah so the two, the two extra months get the CERB the CERB yeah, eight more weeks baby yeah so you know I would say one of the key differences between the U.S. and Canada is that <laughs> when the U.S. was set up they wanted these three equal branches but I kind of feel like the three branches kind of give the other branches as opposed to holding them accountable, it gives them an excuse. Because in Canada, if you suck, you get voted out. So there's accountability. Mm-hmm. But right. if the president, you know, like when Obama didn't get things passed, he's like, oh, the Senate did this. You know, the House did this. And then when Trump's doing things, he's like blaming the, um, you know, the the House blocked me on this. They tried to impeach me. So it just becomes like this infighting. Whereas in Canada, it's like, you know, you kind of got to, do good or you're going to get voted out. And I think the biggest problem, like when I when I say that the U.S. democracy has failed, I would say to me, democracy is supposed to be about representation of your population. And the U.S., um, you know, I, I, I would say like, like one really good example is like um, um, gun reform. When 97% of your population agree that there needs to be um, gun legislation reform, but you can't get it passed. To me, that's not a democracy anymore. That means um, other factors are mm-hmm. controlling your government other than the voters' will. Like the Constitution, isn't it in, in the Second Amendment, though? Like they can't really just. Yeah, but the Second Amendment had muskets and shit back then, man. Listen. It's not like they were thinking like assault rifles. Listen, well, okay, honestly, so democracy is defined by What do you think an amendment is? They changed the constitution. <laughs> they changed it because they wanted something else. Exactly. It, times have changed. We sh- it should be changed again. But what they fear is that people. They fear that the extreme liberals, the communists, are going to be like, "Guess what? We don't want a democracy." And so they're holding on to that gun law as if it's their very representative of their very freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Despite well, here's the thing: like, th- there's not a lot in the conservative party that can appeal to poor people poor uneducated people they have guns and they have racism and then they have being rich and that's most of it actually and abortion so don't forget they, abortion yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no abortions yeah. no no yeah, abortions, abortions. Yeah, yeah. abortions. Okay. that too i'm sorry i forgot about that that was very important big uh, one they're trying to yeah, get big, people very big cool so so, so they really they really lean on these uh these like low these kind of like low class concerns like having free access to firearms and with no background checks. 
yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it would be interesting to get to get your perspective on what's happening in the U.S. democracy, Sebastian, since you're the only registered American. You can actually vote in the November election. How yeah, what are your I, thoughts seeing what's happening in your home in your home country? Well, the U.S. has been an oligarchy for the longest time, like uh, you, you lobbyists determine like what gets passed with just they just throw money around and that's how things get done. And it's because people have consolidated power so much that you can't introduce new ideas outside of the structure. Like you have, you can vote on like local representative government. Like you can get a mayor who like will uh, add a bench to the local park. You can't really get much more than that. You have two presidents and they both want to bomb Syria. So what the fuck are you supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, don't move to Syria. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the difference though, between American and Canadian democracies, we'll say, <laughs> just because like in uh, like America, the Electoral College, uh, you know, basically like because all these populations are now concentrated in cities, they're underrepresented, you know, versus uh, like you know, rural areas, which are overrepresented. The whole point of the Electoral College to begin with was to make sure these like smaller states didn't get overrun by larger states, whatever, whatever. whatever. Canada, on the on the other hand, uh, like it, it there like our system rewards concentrated voting power. So like the Bloc Québécois, for example, can get like 16% of all the seats with only 10% of the vote, right? So it, you end up with this like really weird sort of system. Uh, like they, both systems suck. There's a reason why <laughs> most advanced democracies have gone past these like shitty first past the post yeah. things and, and not I, proportional representation. And, and the know. first past the post thing is another big thing in America. Because you can't vote a third party without detracting from a vote that would matter. Yeah. Because a third party won't win. And if you vote for a third party, you've thrown it away. And if you're like, you're mostly Democrat, but you like, you don't like the, what the Democratic Party is mm -hmm. sp specifically. Say if you wanted like Bernie over Biden, if you voted for Bernie, you would have thrown that vote into the trash mathematically. Hey, but if you, had, voted for if, if you had single transferable vote, where you rank your candidates, and if your first put choice doesn't get in, it goes to the second choice, then your vote doesn't go in the garbage, and you can vote for who you want and not strategically. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely think the two-party system is really hurting the U.S. Like the fact, But it's that also representative of the spectrum in the U.S., which is just like liberal and conservative, and they're so mm. far apart. Whereas in Canada, if you look at the the parties, they're actually not that far away from each other on the spectrum. They're not as extreme as the US. And in Canada with voting, we have Elections Canada, which is standardized throughout the country. Whereas in the US, it's each state. And that's how these votes get like messed up in the first place. Because depending on who them, the, you know, the person, the governor in charge is, whether he's a diehard, like Republican or liberal, that can factor so much into how the voting process takes place. I mean, look at what happened in Florida with the hanging chads, like the woman, I forgot her, Catherine Harris or whatever, was like Jeb Bush's like friend or sister-in-law or whatever. And she was like, no, you know, screw these hanging chads, even though we know the intention that they were all meant to be pierced out in vote of Al Gore and not George Bush. So I think that is the big difference between Canada and the United States in terms of just the process of how we elect our leaders. And oh. the president in the United States definitely has more power than poor little Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely 
um, I, I will challenge you on one thing about sort of the the, the two party system. I don't think it's actually that representative of where the U.S. thoughts are. I feel like if no, you- it's not. But that's. It's not. No, no. My point wasn't that it's representative. I'm saying that the main difference is that if you're comparing the politics of the of us and them, that's all they have. And it sucks because it's not representative of the country. And that's why democracy is on a serious decline in the United States. It's not even in the top 10. It's like number 20 on the list, according to the like economic, you know, intelligence unit index or whatever. Yeah, like I think the fact that Joe Biden and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can be in the same party is just totally crazy. Like they're so far, like that's basically NDP versus progressive conservatives in Canada. Like it's, they're so far apart. It's not like for them to have to be fighting um, within the same party. And I do think what's happening in the U.S. is, you know, they're, People are seeing politics in the spectrum of left versus right, but I actually also see it in a spectrum of like um, um, elites versus um, versus the the have-nots. Because if you mm-hmm. take a look at a lot of the the money, like the people who are funding campaigns, they'll fund both Democrats and Republicans mm-hmm. because basically they can buy off both of them. Like with Joe Biden's campaign, a lot of the people he's going to bring into cabinet are from Wall Street. And they're the same people who also um, who also gave money to Donald Trump before. So for them, it's just as long as they can buy somebody, they don't really care Republican or Democrat. And there's a lot of people who would have voted for Bernie Sanders if he won the um, if he won the nomination, who had voted for Trump because both of them were speaking to poor people in a way that Biden and Hillary Clinton don't. So I actually think it's like sort of this four square of like left and right and then like rich and, class, and poor. right? Yeah, because okay. there there is like, there's literally the ruling rich elite who they'll just jump back and forth between two parties and they don't really care. The only difference is some of them are more racist than the other and some of them like to think they're not racist, but they're more like the get out kind of racist. So it's sort of I can't like, believe the Biden thing. Did you guys hear his latest comment? Like he was doing an interview and he said something like, if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. Oh, yeah. He apologized. <laughs> it didn't sound good, but he apologized I, for it. Yeah. I thought you were going to bring up the one where he said, uh, in this upcoming race, I will definitely je- defeat Joe Biden. uh, i know yeah (laughs) he says so many crazy things like he also said like so he's totally against um the 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 defunding police movement and he basically said you know a good solution is and so instead of shooting him the them in the heart uh cops should shoot him in the leg yeah because that's safe yeah this is this is like (laughs) when trump said like to a school (laughs) shooting that he would run in and save save everybody himself yeah this is the equivalent yeah to go to your point when you're saying it's all about ruling class and like it's you know but the haves and the have nots that's how america was founded like that's how it started yeah. like yeah. all the people that came over it was, laws. They were, yeah. most yeah. people came over were just working for rich people and they came with them and then the rich people just kept all the power mm-hmm. like the founding fathers didn't want democracy like the thought of actual democracy was like gross we don't want these peasants actually having a say in our government <laughs> let's give them like you know Let's make them, like, they sold them on a bill of goods. They got their magic beans and like, and now America's like selling democracy all over the place with missiles. But like, this is how it's always been. It's all, like they didn't want, only like wealthy white landowners could vote. 
right? So like indigenous didn't get a vote, slaves, obviously slaves didn't get a vote until 1870 and then three fifths of them could. And then women didn't even get to vote till 1920. Yeah. 50 years mm. after. Now, uh, crazy. It's, it's, and it's honestly sickening how much these people who on, on paper are diametrically opposed, they're just in bed together. Like how yeah. Hillary and Bill were at Trump's wedding. Like I bet like Bill and, uh, Bill, and Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton and Trump were like on Epstein's jet high-fiving as a double. Yeah, I bet. Power. Oh gosh. I have yet to see that documentary, <laughs> but I bet there is a circle yeah. going on. It's all money. It's all everybody with money. They're in a big club and they just, I mean, I don't believe in the Illuminati or some shit, but like, it's just rich people. Yeah. Like all the people at Davos, they're the ones who run. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> not, you know, it's so but I just think that like, in terms of we're talking about, I think, in our last episode, is it for this? I'm, I'm a little confused now because I've had my drink. Um, are we talking about like the systems? Like, can democracy be saved? How do we protect democracy? Yeah. As a theory, democracy in itself should protect itself because it's about standing up and fighting for your freedoms. But I think like there's no such thing as like a bad political system. Like, I think political systems are like pit bulls. You know what I mean? Like, there's no bad systems, just like bad politicians. And I think what's I happening. In the- I'm not a big fan of monarchy. It's Michael Vick uh, for president. <laughs> yeah, Michael Vick. He, he can do it. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I think what's happening in the U.S. is just like populism and factionalism existed before Trump, but he came along and just fanned the flames further. And you're right. It is money because all it is right now, it used to like the watershed moment for American politics was in 2000 when voters actual could voters can actually be persuaded but nowadays it's about which campaign has the most money to mobilize voters and that's what it's become and then there's something called the silent majority yeah so let's let's which go is asians no asians <laughs> black people i don't know i don't know about you but let's talk about asians like growing up as as a kid my i don't even think my dad has ever voted i don't know if it's because like english is not his first language and he's like fuck it but so i inherited that kind of uh, feeling about voting throughout my life. I always thought of it as like recycling. You know what I mean? Like, I know we should no, all do you don't recycle? <laughs> I don't recycle. I don't care to recycle. I hate recycling as much as I hate politics. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't think Asians really vote. I think Asians are just like, okay. if I have my bubble tea and my car, I'm good. Fuck off. I think that's you how don't Asians recycle. Do. You don't even recycle the, the fucking No, I do now because I live with a white husband and we have to, but... Yeah, like, my parents vote. My parents have voted all, like every time. All my really? family dinners, all That's the ages, and all politics. Yeah. My all the talking about politics. Fucked. They don't vote. Yeah, you know, no. I've, I've, I actually didn't vote for a very long time. Only recently did I start to vote because I grew up in an area where politics and politicians only came into our neighborhood. So I grew up in like a very poor neighborhood um, in in the middle of Winnipeg, um, and. Politicians only came in right before the election and then they would disappear for four years until it was the next election. And they would just bring us poor kids on stage to, you know, say they're going to yeah. help us. So for us, we were just like, like token mascots. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for, for me, for me, I always felt like, you know, like I would have felt more guilty if I was not voting and not doing anything else. But like I've started several charities and for me, it's like, 
I can either vote for somebody to do something for me or I'll just do it myself. So for me, I was like, I, I more believe in a cause and support a cause than I'll support a person because a person can be corrupted. So for me, you know, any, anything that I believe in, I will go and raise money or literally start a charity for that um, specific cause and um, not really deal with all the drama um, which, mm, yeah. you know, it definitely gets me in trouble sometimes because people are like, you know, why aren't you using your your democratic voice? And I was like, I am. I'm just doing it in a different way because I'm a bit disillusioned with the system. Yeah. Somebody asked Bill Gates, like, if you would run for president, <laughs> he was like, why would I do that? I wouldn't be able to get half the things I can do now done <laughs> if I was president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now he can just pay it's the president true. to do things. Yeah. yeah so oh, oh, Wasp Perot, I don't know if you even know, like, that dude is a G like, so he ran third party. He was like third party, whatever, whatever, whatever. But he had his like own business and stuff. At some point there were like, like some, some of his employees were taken hostage, like overseas somewhere. And he was just like, I am to get him back myself. He hired mercenaries, helicopters, and they, they just went in and just, gr just grabbed him and then brought him back. <laughs> That's it. He's like, yeah, forget the government. I'll just do this myself. You know, yeah, I want a job done right. <laughs> Roll up the sleeves, get a Black Hawk chopper. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. Ross Pro is an interesting case because he, I'm not sure if a lot of our listeners remember, but he was very close to getting a third party enacted in the U.S. And then he was like at, at one point, he was over like 22 percent in the um, in the uh, in, in the polls. Popular vote, yeah. And I forget what percentage he would have needed to to establish a third party. But then they basically threatened his daughter and his daughter's wedding and to like publicly shame her. So then he left, um, I think, for two months or something. Um, and then that was basically the end. Like the U.S. just plays dirty. <laughs> it's it's just I, I don't know how that didn't get covered more. Where like this whole bunch of elite people basically threatened a candidate's daughter to get him out of the race because it would have established a third party. It's like a Korean soap opera, <laughs> but it's America. This is, this is America. Yeah, yeah so the, so the, the, the second part of this topic that I want to go to is, okay, so we've talked about the U.S., sort of what's going wrong, but, like, what happens if the U.S. fails? Like, I know sometimes it's, the U.S. is annoying, but I feel like we kind of need it. We live right next to it. If the U.S. kind of fails, we're kind of screwed. Um, and, you know, first of all, fail. yeah, first of like, all, what do you mean by fails? Yeah, I, I don't like think it, it's it ever... explodes. Well, democracy. It gets sold to China. Dem um, I mean, like, they already, technically, they've already been sold to China, Sebastian. Yeah, yeah well, I, like, it's not much different. Here, it's oh, the same. Just here, let, you just can't talk about Mao in public. Yeah, yeah, here, let, let, let me put it this way. Like, we've had world superpowers that are no longer world superpowers like Russia. So and Britain. Yeah, so so for me, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the U.S. becomes no longer a superpower. And what happens in the world then? Does China take over? Does communism take over? So I'll push over to Jennifer first, since you have lived under a communist regime by choice for over a mm -hmm. decade. By choice. <laughs> You're making it sound like plan B or something. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> no, um, I think that China with the Olympics, which I was there to cover, humble brag, um, was already planning a resurgence. I think they realized their mistake with, while well, some people won't admit to it, to the whole cultural revolution setting them years and years back. But China 
they, they're not even waiting for the U.S. to fail. And I think you circulated that article about how China is hoping that Trump will stay in power for the next mm -hmm. four years. They're hoping that because they know that he's sinking the country <laughs> and everything going wrong right now with the coronavirus, with how the U.S. has handled it, with the anti-Black protests. They are using the crises in other countries as a way to be like, look at us. We're so great. Look at your shit democracy communism, like our system is the way to go. But what we have at the end of the day are a bunch of world leaders, including Trump, including the president of the Philippines, who are all like fascist leaders. It, it is really authoritarian, like what's happening. And that's why in the US, it's not seen as a democracy. But I think if China, China has been slowly taking over with their one world, one dream plan, and that is their dream for the world, which is to have their infrastructure, their subways, their buildings, their their companies in every single country. They're, they're starting the Belt and Road, which we've heard of, is kind of like the ancient Silk Road, how they map that out. And that's what's happening right now in various countries, land and sea, Africa. Um, I think, I'm not sure about not India, but various places mm. in Asia. And they're making, <laughs> they're making like, they're making second world countries, third world countries, mm. like dependent on their companies for a salary basically yeah so i don't know i don't think that we're gonna be like all commies or something but i do think that we're just gonna be reliant on them like fleas are to dogs kind of like they're gonna be the host and we're all gonna be like let's go you know <laughs> like you see the manta ray and all the little fish like, blah, 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 like that. that's what it's gonna look like and, and and what what are your thoughts, Leonard? If uh, would you be happy if China took over the world? Well, here's the thing: China doesn't want to take over in the sense that, like, like okay, it's hard. Like America didn't want to take over the way they have. Like they they've looked at what happened to like with other colonial powers, and they kind of didn't want to do that. But now they have like military bases all over the world, and, like eleven aircraft carriers. So, I mean, that's kind of what has to happen. China doesn't really want to go down that road because it is expensive to be a superpower, you know? Like, mm. they are doing it. They've like, you know, their military budget is like 20 times what it used to be from 1990 till now. But they are trying to take over through having a strong economy, soft power, and really good technology. Mm -hmm. Just like Jennifer said, like they want to get their like 5G networks in everywhere. That's like why they're like, no, it's Huawei and they're spying, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's just a front, they just, they're just scared of them getting a, a foothold you know, technology-wise in there. And, like, Trump really fucked up by dropping out of the, the TPP, right? Mm. Like, uh, like, because, like, it wasn't the greatest deal for America, obviously. There are, like, intellectual property issues. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But at least you're at the table. <laughs> you just stepped out mm. and China's going to fill the void. Like, that was, like, the, that was, they gifted that to China, basically. Mm. So, but Chinese, the Chinese have never been about, like, their foreign policy has never been about interventionism. They're just, they, China's number one, China first. It's always been China first and they are not, like they're pretty transparent about they're it. They're not hostile. We are, look, I'm already Chinese. No, like we're not, like we didn't invade that Japan. I'm sorry, we didn't, we didn't commit like, you know, the rape of Nanking on our, like on another country. Sorry, that was horrific. If no one knows about the rape of Nanking, go read the book by Iris Chang. It's horrific what Japan did. And I'm not like trying to shit on Japan, but China never, okay, besides its own hostility within its country, it never tried to like dominate the world like Napoleon did. I'm sorry. It didn't capture slaves. It didn't take African slaves and make them slaves. It made its own people slaves. It killed its own people. So we're very selfless in a way. 
So China is like this big. Yeah, and doesn't want to hurt other people. They're so modest. They don't want to hurt any other people. Tibet's not people, right? Hurt ourselves, and that's the Chinese way: is swallow the bitter, hurt yourself, don't trouble anybody else, kill your own people, kill your family. Yeah, kill your kill your family. Dalai Lama is an old, stupid, bald Uh, prick. I I, totally like. uh, I I I feel like China, we're gonna, right? I feel like we're gonna have some listeners from Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Uh, oh, they're um, all gonna be happy <laughs> with with their with their own opinions of. Uh, no, China China invaded Vietnam like six times, so it's not like we haven't gone out there. Oh, I didn't know that. They were, okay. they were trying pretty yeah, hard. Why, okay. <laughs> lack to, of success uh, doesn't mean lack of effort. According to twenty three. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Going to 23 and me, I am like 18% Vietnamese because for sure one of my ancestors was a shitty person. <laughs> oh uh, and uh, um, what, what are your what are your thoughts, um, Sebastian, on uh, on uh, China so, taking over? What happens if the U.S. fails? I mean, in my mind, optimally, I want there to be maximum human rights, which means I, I support the idea of democracy. Because the power is like reliant upon uh, satisfying and educating, taking care of the people who put somebody in charge. Uh, how I know that the U.S. isn't really like that, but China is even less so. Mm. Like the human rights, I I, I want to keep them from slipping f- further down. That's really what I, I care about. Yeah, and I, I, if China took over, it would be it would be worse for human rights. People would have fewer fewer rights and they would be in a worse condition and i i, I would be very no, uh, opposed to that Sebastian, you're right about something because you just talked about human rights and you know they're right now what's happening in the u.s is we're fighting against you know the anti-black crimes like, from the police but what's happening in china like not a lot of people know about this but a bunch of people from the xinjiang uyghur autonomous region uyghurs are being persecuted and put into education camps and never to be seen again from family members mm. and what's happening they're not saying it of course but it really is like a mini genocide happening in that region mm. and like imagine if that was in the us that they were Wait, just taking how many i thought it was like millions well, i guess trump did that with the Mexi- mexican people but you know Technically, it wasn't Mexicans. It was people in Central America coming yeah. through Mexico. But yes, and oh, I would say the, the whoops. Okay, probably probably not terribly comparable to the plight of the. No, the it's Mexicans. not comparable to what's happening. Like people just disappearing off the grid. Like that's what they have the power to do. I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast. Like Fen Bingbing, like Kim Kardashian, but with talent uh, in China. Like she just disappeared completely from social media. No one knew where she was for three months. She had she said something sensitive or wrong something, and she just they can wipe you out. Yeah, it's you know the the interesting thing is, and and Jennifer sort of touched upon this topic earlier, but let let's let's pivot over to can democracy be saved? Like, what does it look like moving forward? What could happen in the U.S.? And I'll I'll chime in first here. I actually think that um, I've always believed that the current generations are always lost. Their their minds were. Um, were solidified when they were young, and I, I've always felt like it's 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 a fight for the next generation. And when Trump came to power, I was actually more optimistic than most people because, like the 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 way that that I saw it was, it's like the last dying gasp of an old generation. 
And it was more about two things could happen. Either what was happening with Trump was a resurgence that could spark a whole new uh, generation of white supremacists, or it's just, you know, like sad old people grasping on to their power. And for me, I actually think it's, it's the last dying gasp of an old generation losing control because I saw this in the queer community because um, in the queer community, um, probably about 15 years ago, similar things happen, mainly because old white guys lose power about 20 years earlier when they're gay because you might be like a rich white guy, but you know, the gay community is more ageist. So we sort of saw this resurgence or, or this new generation, um, you know, of, of queer people who are coming in more multicultural, you know, um, more, more trans, um, um, more, more transgendered people as well. It was just a lot more inclusive. And honestly, there was this same sad last push. Like it kind of reminded me, like to me, the best example would be like, um, of like this resurgence of white supremacy. It reminds me of, you know, like when you watch a horror movie and like you think you've killed Michael Myers, like, the, <laughs> like the, the, the way that everybody thought, oh, we killed the white supremacists, the Nazis are gone. But then they like pop up one last time for that scare. And yeah. then you yeah. just got to chop well, off their last. head. And then, and then, you know, and then the wave will take over. And that's sort of what happened in the queer community. The wave took over and the numbers just changed. And for me, the next generation, like we're something like 10 years away from white people being the minority in North America, literally less than 50%. And once huh. that happens, we'll never go back. Once they're the minority, they will be the minority and they'll never get back. So I feel like this is their last sad stand. So, wow. so like, they love Asian girls too much. They can't. <laughs> <laughs> their, their last sad stance, they might, point, they might create a 7-2 majority in the Supreme Court. So it's kind of... It's not just, you know, like they come back like, ah, they're like, come back. And oh, by the way, <laughs> gone for, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it can still be pretty harmful. This like last sad mm -hmm. gas. No, they, they feel threatened. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. They and feel threatened. Personally, I think that uh, I disagree completely, Vong, uh, <laughs> with, uh, uh, like we, you think we have like the the last like the the old guard dying off because we have like all the all the guys who are in power now they're like Mitch McConnell Trump they're all they're all ancient they're gonna decay at the helm mm -hmm. of the rotting democracy uh, and then who's gonna surge up people it's it's gonna be the people who are like forty who then because you know because you don't just go from eighty yeah. year olds to, to 20. twenty to twenty yeah. year olds no there's the people in the middle like Brett Kavanaugh and even in the twenty year old you have if you ever look at the the footage of those uh tiki torch uh nazi rallies they're all like white guys in their 20s mm. like white pasty guys it gets in passed 20s. down from and, generation to generation and i i've i've been to a frat party in the past couple of years i know what these guys look like <laughs> they uh they they're exactly like that they're numerous they're not going anywhere mm. i think that the uh the, the new generation uh it's well like the the money stays in the family and so does the power mm. You see senators and senators' sons who are then become senators. This is not a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, well, what, what are, where, where do you lie on, on this spectrum, Leonard? Are you as positive as I am or as uh, pessimistic as Sebastian? I'm probably more on Sebastian's side. I'm a little pessimistic about it because he's exactly right. You know, like you are seeing a lot of these young conservatives. I mean, here's the thing. Not all of them are racist. Some of them have actually valid points about, uh, you know, overregulation for businesses and so forth. Like, you know, with Title Seven or whatever. Like there are certain things that doesn't make can make it harder to run a business but at the same time like these things shouldn't override basic protections and it's hard to find a balance and it's but i know it's too much to ask for like reasoned debate at this point you know so it's just going to be a lot of screaming from here on out <laughs> um and just younger people screaming you know like you like for some reason i don't know why i ended up uh on candace owens uh twitter page today i'm just like Candace Owens, good lord! I know. I mean, I just wanted to look because I was looking for something else. I'll search for something else. And That's something how it starts, me. Leonard. You just want to look. Should... Oh, you know. By the way, you know what's really funny? Like, anytime I get really, really high and I go online and and I, I start like agreeing with right wing talking points. Like, oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> this makes sense. This makes sense. And then, yeah, and then, oh, yeah. yeah. I only agree with conservatives when I'm like crazy high. <laughs> oh my gosh what does that say about you no <laughs> you have to be high to, <laughs> to think this is no but you know what you, you raised a funny thing because yesterday i sent you guys this video and it was of well i don't know if he was i think he was mixed race like he was half black half white but i got this video from this Trump supporter guy who used to follow me on instagram and he stopped because i posted something about how police departments are acting like the Catholic church, you know, like protecting their pedophiles and protecting their own cops mm. basically. And he like, obviously didn't like that because he's a huge Trump supporter. He posted this video of this man. Okay. We'll call him a black man explaining with markers, how the three powers in the U S are like the three major media companies and how there's the black lives matter protests. And then the anti anti is Antifa. it anti people Antifa. coming in. And then it's, it's all this soccer like, Antifa. people against yeah, soccer Antifa. should be anti-fifa but that's a whole yeah. separate thing yeah. yeah and and so like it's really about these rich corporations in power and it's like this loop so i don't know if it's gonna get i'm completely off my rocker here but no i agreed with this okay so the point is this fucking trump supporter guy i was going through all his posts last night and like some <laughs> of the memes and some of the things like like you leonard i was like oh my god that kind of makes sense in a way like you can't completely discount all of it are we just a right-wing like podcast now they can't completely <laughs> Guys, did we just make the switch all the things that liberals say but there was this one meme that got me and maybe it's because of my freaking childhood abuse or whatever but it was basically a meme and it was of this elephant, right? A huge gray elephant in a room. And it was like pedophilia and like child sexual abuse as the elephant. And then you have the media people in the middle. And then on the other side is like the race riots. And then the people with the cameras all focusing on the race riots. So that got me thinking, like, obviously the race riots are very important, but I never understood why, like in the US or in any, maybe it's a look at our justice system. They don't pay attention to some of the other like systemic like child sexual abuse is a pandemic and yet the people who commit these crimes don't get um jail time as much as like a person that robs a convenience store like it's ridiculous and so i just think the attention sometimes is really fucked up and like so so this 
right wing guy posted that. And I was like, you know what? I, I see that that's a valid point. So I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, I'll, I'll jump in here because so I, I grew up in a very poor area. I'm my I'm a war refugee. We are lived in poverty for, you know, definitely the, the first 15, 20 years of my life. And, you know, there was a point when I was younger that I used to consider myself a fiscal conservative. And I actually listened to um, to Rush Limbaugh. And one thing that, that I do want to say with the conservative movement of like sometimes people wonder why. Um, visible minorities or poor people would follow Republicans or conservatives when they don't have money. Um, for me, the message is about is about um, in individualism, like individual power, how you alone have the power mm-hmm. to like change your life as right. opposed to, you know, I, I would say when I was in the ghetto and I was trying to get out, that message that I had the power to change my life was actually helpful. And it's not mm-hmm. until you get out of it that you can then look back and look at the larger um, the larger systemic issues that are oppressing your people. Mm-hmm. But if you're in it, you can't be like, oh, all these factors are stopping me from becoming what I want to become. So sometimes you want to lean into that dream of like, everything mm-hmm. is fair. All it takes is effort. There, none of this stuff exists because if you just think about all that shit, you'll never make it out of the ghetto. But then mm-hmm. once I left, I looked back and I was like, oh, hey, wait a minute. You know, I'm like maybe like the top one percentile, like only two people from seven people from my high school of a thousand went to university and two graduated from university. So I'm literally like, you know, two in a thousand. So one in 500. So if you have a system where only, you know, the top point zero one percentile can make it through, then it's a system that's broken. And I, I had to get out of it before I looked back. And what happens is a lot of people get out of it and then they're like, oh, I got out of it. So why didn't everybody else get out of it? And then they kind of just hate on like their old community instead of helping them. Yeah. So it's it's like uh, oh, uh, the Republican viewpoint is like, how do I get out of poverty? And then the liberal viewpoint was like, why are why were so many of us in poverty? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think so. The conservative thing is just sort of you're kind of trying to ignore all the systemic issues holding you down because rich people want to pretend that it doesn't exist because then they can feel less guilty and poor people want to pretend it doesn't exist because if you think about everything holding you down you'll never get past it because you're just focused on how unfair life is but you have to move past it and then look back um, so that's why if you're wondering why sometimes poor people are like pro-trump that's why because the message of like you know of ignoring that there's systemic oppression and I control my life is a really good one when you're like poor and you want to think that those things don't exist, that you can actually control your own life. It's not true, but it's sort of helpful to think it. It is a dream. Well, it's the American dream, right? And that's why immigrants still come to America because of that notion that you can make it anywhere like new york if you can make it here you can make it anywhere you <laughs> by know the way, by the way this is such a silly thing if you can make it in new york you make like if <laughs> like honestly you can't go to like, make, iowa and dress up like iron man it. and get paid for take pictures of people <laughs> like if i could make it in rural alabama then i think i can <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? more accurate. <laughs> you just yeah. send some random dude to like new york like you send like someone from toronto to new york it's like of course he's gonna be fine it's multicultural it's <laughs> He knows where to get gluten-free shit. He's down in rural Alabama. He's fucked. (laughs) 
So change um, it, Leonard. Change it. <laughs> yeah, so just just wrapping up this topic about protecting democracy, democracy versus communism. I'll give the last word to to Leonard here um, to sort of talk about um, the movements going on. If if you think anything's actually going to happen from Black Lives Matter, from from Antifa, from you know anything else that's happening, do you think this will actually cause change or is this just happening because we're in the coronavirus and everybody's bored well it's it is happening because we're in this pandemic and everybody had all this pent-up energy to do something with and then there was a cause that was worthy so it was like this confluence of events once in a lifetime i think there is going to be change i mean minneapolis defunded their police department toronto health has declared anti-black racism as an actual health crisis like things unanimous decision by the way there's a Things are happening because this is how how change happens in a democracy is that enough people get on board with it, then policies will change because politicians have to appease their constituents because their constituents determine whether or not they have a job next year. <laughs> so yeah. Black Lives Matter, like these sort of organizations, these grassroots organizations can affect change. Antifa, on the other hand, that's not, they're not going after change so much as they're just anti-fascism. They're like, a disparate group of like these, they're not an organization. They're like, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're just a bunch of different groups. But the whole p- purpose of it is like, you know, fighting fascism through nonviolent or violent means, but not through policy change, because that has not been shown to work. Right. So if you got to punch a Nazi in the face, you got to punch a Nazi in the <laughs> face. And at the end of the day, like, I don't agree with all their methods, but I feel like it's better to be anti-fa than to be fa. Like, don't be like, fa. Like their heart's in the right place, but their brain <laughs> is not. Yeah. <laughs> oh my exactly. God. Was I saying anti FIFA? Like, yes. <laughs> yes, you were. I'm so sorry. I've, that's what happens when I have a full drink. <laughs> yeah. Then you just really start hating on soccer. <laughs> I hate soccer. I had to report on the Bundesliga and La Liga. <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of which, Lionel Messi. You know. Oh yeah. He's, his record is not great. Twenty goals a season. God damn, wow. that guy's good. Wow. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, although he, he emerged, he emerged from the quarantine. People had some photos. It was trending, I think, yesterday, and he's sort of not looking too great right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, 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 look it up. For Obviously, the standards for him are really high because he's like a very athletic person, but he he came out definitely needing needing a haircut. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's definitely trending on Twitter right now. These uh, these public photos of him. But anyway, we are not here to uh, to hair shame people uh, because oh, who, I wish we were. Yeah, who, who who am I to talk? There's there's a reason why I'm wearing these these giant these giant uh, <laughs> these giant headphones, so you can't really see my hair. But okay, <laughs> um, wrapping up our very spirited debate on uh, on democracy, let's go into our next segment our regular weekly segment where we talk about a piece of um, a piece of cinema that is led by either an Asian producer or an Asian um, lead. In this case, I think it's both of those things. And uh, our entertainment, our Asian entertainment of the week is Always Be My Maybe by Ali Wong. And uh, Randall Park Wait, is also did, in it as well. Yes, Jennifer? Oh, did she write the film or direct it? No. Um, he and Randall Park used to be in a um, a, an artistic collective together, and they always wanted to work together. And I believe uh, that they decided to make something together, and this was the result. And I 
do think now, uh, now, you know what? Now I gotta look this okay. up. This is what I should know. I actually don't know if she wrote it or not, but I know that's I don't how I know who the director is. I didn't even check that. <laughs> the director is uh, not Ali Wong or Randall Park. The director, a recommendation somebody who, um, she directed a lot of uh, episodes of Fresh Off the Boat and they wanted her specifically because- Oh she, my God, it was it was written by her. Yeah. Randall Park and Michael Galama, Gala, Gollum Co. <laughs> directed by- Nan, 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 Khan, Nan, right? Khan. Yeah. 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 So she directed Fresh Off the Boat. She also did um, uh, uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. If you guys ever saw that. Mm-hmm. Funny. Oh, that was uh, an Ali Wong. Love that show. Okay. Um, no, no, no. That, that wasn't Ali Wong. That was uh, Leonard. What was the name of the person you were saying? Uh, Kristen Ritter and James Vanderbeek. Mm. Playing himself, by the way. I actually, I actually saw a, a rap battle on YouTube between uh, Randall Park and James Vanderbeek. Oh, nice. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, the when, Nachican, I, uh, when I was trying to listen to the, the music from the movie, because the some of the uh, soundtrack from the in-movie wait, band, what Hello, Was that movie again? I called it again, Leonard? What? Don't the Trust the Beak one. Oh, it's, trust- a, it's a TV show. It was okay. one season. Yeah. It was called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Okay, uh, cool. It's yeah. really yeah. funny. It should be on, I think it's on Netflix, I think. Um, um, okay, so bringing it back to Always Be My Maybe, let's, let's, a wild journey. let's go first to Sebastian. What are your thoughts on the movie? What resonated? What what parts of it really, really stuck out to you? Okay, so, uh, you know, just a little thing about me. I tear up at movies. It's, this, <laughs> that's, that's just a little, little personal detail. I do that. And I, I you know, I, I almost, I almost shed a tear for this movie. It was, it was really good, actually. Uh, but the, there's a lot of little details that shine out in this movie. Uh, like Rand, the uh, Marcus Randall Park's character, he's in a band. I'm not going to say much more than this. He's got songs that they actually play in the movie, and they're great. <laughs> they're, they're really funny and uh, and great songs in the in the in in movie universe band of Hello Peril. I think the Keanu Reeves song actually was a little viral, and I understand <laughs> why completely. It's in the credits. Yeah, the credit song. I watched. I watched the whole credits because of the song. That's how good it was. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Le- Leonard, what were your thoughts from a oh, writing movie. perspective, overall perspective? I mean, it's standard rom com. It hits all the hits all the tropes, um, but that's what you want. You, you want that out of this type of movie. But it had Asian faces, which I think was fantastic. Same thing with Crazy Rich Asians, right? It's the same. It's like standard rom com, but Asian faces. And what's nice about that is like now all these characters. Like when you look at these characters, you're not th- like if you look at the girlfriend like Randall Park's girlfriend, who's like this crazy hippie, right? Uh, in any other movie, if it's just her as the only Asian character, a lot of people will be like, oh, remember the main character's Asian girlfriend? But in this case, because everybody's Asian, you don't think of them, oh, you don't differentiate them. You're like, oh, remember the crazy hippie girlfriend? Like that's, you know, the mm. thing you take away from it. And I think that's the importance of having like more representation. So now you're not look, you're not defining people by their race, you're defining people by who they actually are, which is, which would be nice if that actually spilled over to real life. (laughs) (laughs) And what what were your thoughts, Jennifer, as, as you know, you're a professional actor as well as a comedian. What did you think of the acting in the movie and the characters and the movie as a whole? Um, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I was interested, like I knew Randall Park was, you know, a good actor. He's been in a lot of films and stuff like that. I think this was Ali Wong's acting debut. And if you've seen her stand-up special, like she's just very engaging to watch. I'm not just saying that because I'm biased um, because she's an Asian woman and a mom as well. But I was quite 
like I was very happy with her acting. It wasn't overacted. She was very natural in a way. I though I felt like the character was like still kind of her only if she was a chef. Like I, I think it's very hard when you're a comedian and then you go into an acting role. Like when people know you so intimately, it's going to be hard to differentiate who you are from that character that she's playing. So I saw a lot of like still just Ali Wong in a way, but there were tender parts like when she was a kid and then the mm. teenage years, how I love that, you know, cause Asians don't age. They didn't have to get like young doubles <laughs> to play them. They just played themselves when they were in high school. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. yep, they still look the same. Like no change. They could be 12, you know? Um, I like that the, the, the theme of the movie was like cooking and food, which is so central to like Asian culture and how it speaks volumes about how we express care and love for one another. Like when a Chinese person, you go to their house, the first thing they say is, have you eaten yet? Have you eaten? They want to fatten you up and yet they'll call you fat the next time they see you. But making sure you're full is their way of making sure that you're, it's their, how are you? It's their, let's have a serious pep talk. But instead, mm. they don't want to have that talk. They just want to put food in your mouth so you shut the fuck up and feel satiated. <laughs> but I just I just thought that was really sweet how it all came together. And yeah, it fits, like Leonard said, all the, you know, I watched, I was like a serial rom-com watcher as a kid when VHS existed, never been kissed, keeping the faith, like 16 Candles. I, I loved rom-coms. I didn't rom -coms. think anybody else watched that but me. Oh, really? Oh, no. I, I, I honestly didn't think anybody else in the world had watched that movie. 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, all the John Hughes movies. Like, seriously, I was addicted to rom-coms. But the thing about these rom-coms that I was watching, all of them white, except for Love and Basketball, which I loved, by the way. <laughs> Great movie. Not, not really a rom-com, more of a basketball <laughs> love drama. But, like, all these movies were white people, and I accepted it. Ten Things I Hate About You. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, that other one, uh, she, oh God, what is Freddie Prince Jr. and that skinny, pretty brunette. Oh, she, she's all that. She's all that. Oh my God. You see you know what I mean? Like, oh, it was like, ah, raga, raga, raga. Like that was my jam. And so when all of, always be my baby came out, I'm like, wow, I wish I had that as a freaking teenager. And I'm so happy for the young Asian teens that are, you know, like it's a shitty world that they're living in now, but at least they have great representation on Netflix coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's worth every bit of it. Yeah. It's so it great. It's so is. nice that they have a rom-com to fall back on. And after they've been beaten up for some horrible <laughs> racial issue. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I actually, I really liked it. And it, it's funny because I, I had seen the two Ali Wong specials on Netflix and I, I thought they were good and I liked her, but I wasn't like, obsessed with her it was actually this movie that really won me over there's just a way that she played the character that really resonated with me even more than her stand-up comedy and she's a brilliant stand-up comedian but there was just something with this character and what, what i really liked about this movie is that it did have heart like mm -hmm. i i like comedies where i still have an investment yeah, yeah on whether they fall in love of you know like when you know I, i'm not going to spoil it but everybody knows there's like drama in the middle before they all get back together at the end it's like every rom-com and it's like do i like the characters enough are they grounded enough that i'm going to feel something when that drama that stormy patch happens and i did feel something and you know i, I really like randall park as well um I, I also kind of like you know this doesn't sound mean but like they're 
kind of ordinary looking, especially for Asians. Like they're like cute, but they're not like Super over hot. the top cute. So yeah, they're, they're like real life cute. You know, they'd be like, oh, if you saw them on like a dating profile, you would like swipe to the right. Whereas like most it's Hollywood- just like the top 1% of people, not the top 0.1% of good yeah. looking people. I mean, right? they had one of the top 0.1% of people in the movie too, as a kid. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I feel like in, in real life, you would actually swipe right on these people because like the super, super hot people in most rom-coms, you'd probably be like, oh, you know, they're probably out of out of my league. Um, so I probably wouldn't swipe right. I don't know. Jennifer probably would swipe right on everybody because she's gorgeous. But, you know, for me, I'm sort of like, you know, I kind of like that these people were, you know. Normal. More, they were yeah. very normal. Yeah. yeah and, and I really like that. Oh, from a comedic standpoint, too. I actually felt like the one-liners were pretty funny because they would end scenes on one-liners a lot. And I'm really particular with my comedy. You know, not everything hit. There were times where, you know, probably like one-fifth of the time it didn't hit. But I, I, I appreciated that they, they would end scenes on one-liners. And most of the time, they actually hit pretty well. So, hmm. yeah. Wow. Good movie. A+. Great movie. Yeah, yeah so everybody it. go out it, and watch A+. it. Plus. No, stay um, in and watch. It's on Netflix. It's not out there. It's inside. Uh, what? Uh, not not to spoil it, but like when they when he walks into the restaurant and it's in that style. Oh, oof. <laughs> it, I, I had feelings. I, it made me feel feelings. That's the movie. Yeah. What the end in the restaurant? Yeah, which we're not spoiling. Come yeah, on, no, 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 we're not, no we're not spoilers. Say no spoilers. Um, no, no, no. But yeah, I said enough. But yeah, definitely highly recommended. All us Asians are not biased at all. You can, uh, you can, you can, you can take that oh, to, to the base. Well, it was an Asian director. The reason why they, they didn't want to do the movie without her. They're like, but, we're not making this movie without her because she know as an Asian director, there's so many things that she's she understands to focus the camera on, right? Yeah, to really bring out the culture of, you know, the Asians. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, so great. Food. So, so that's Close our. Up some food. <laughs> and so that's our Asian entertainment of the week, and we are adding a brand new segment, um, just because we're all four of us are Asian stand-up comedians. So we want to spotlight other Asian stand-up comedians because if you're listening to us, you probably like Asian stand-up comedy. So each week we're going to talk about a different a different Asian stand-up comedian that you should check out. And this week we are recommending you check out the fabulous, the hilarious Jen Sakato. She is a Toronto-based um, half-white, half-Japanese Asian comedian. She just released an album on Howl and Roar Records. It is called The Dozen. Um, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play Store, Tidal, everything under the sun, um, Amazon Music. So go out, check her out, and, uh, you know, I'll throw it to our panel to talk about, you know, what do you love about Jen? Is there, like, a favorite joke that she does? Um, let's start first with Sebastian. Yeah, I, I like the I, I like the album I bought. I listened to it uh, twice, and uh, I think I'm a... I like how personal, like the the a lot of the jokes are. Uh, there's one about uh, the edibles, and we're not we're not going to go through the jokes. I imagine. Uh, no, <laughs> where, no, where she uh, she gives the edible to her dad. You know, I, I've always kind of wanted to do that that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I never got personally. I never got a chance because my parents are like uh, all through high school. They like never do drugs or anything mm-hmm. like that. Then I come back from college and they're just smoking a joint in the in the driveway and. <laughs> mm. 
And meanwhile, I, I had not touched the stuff. So I, was, I felt a little betrayed. And then I, I started smoking with them. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, in the joke, she introduces the weed to her father. It's, uh, but I, I kind of, I kind of connected to the, to the joke. Uh, the album's called the, uh, the album's called the dozens, right? The yeah, dozen. The, the dozen, because there's, the dozen. there's 12 tracks on the EP. Oh. And she really loves donuts, like these vegan donuts. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, is she the, vegan? Is I don't it, know. Is she vegan, Leonard? Oh, yeah. She was. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, yeah. man, we did a show once. Um, uh, <laughs> we were, we were, we were both yeah. performing at the a rib fest in Richmond Hill. And I was just like, yo, you're a vegan. Like, how are you? How are I you going like to be this. performing at a rib fest? She's <laughs> like, yo, I got a wedding to pay for. So whatever, man. And then we go. <laughs> so we're performing at this rib fest and it's a horror. It's like, it's like a horrible show. And uh, <laughs> the whole show. And there's like, oh, by the way, there's like these agents at the rib fest. They brought their own rice cooker. So the two of us are like, oh, we're just cracking up. We can't not talk about that on all our set. We're just like, look at the agents with the rice cookers. And then afterwards, <laughs> Uh, like we're looking around for something to eat and because she's vegan, we ended up going to, um, there is a place selling stinky tofu for whatever reason. So huh. like we forgo all the ribs, we go eat the stinky tofu and then all we do is just complain that it's not stinky enough for <laughs> mm. Nice. It has to be stinky. It has to be stinky. But yeah, she's, she's great. I love, I love Jen. I've known her for a long time. Like she used to run the show at the Cameron House and uh, like every Monday and that's one of the shows that like gave me a lot of stage time and like a lot of some of the bits that actually like the way that show was run, like every show mm. was a different theme and you would have to write new material for that theme. Cool. Oh. So, so many, like a bunch of my jokes actually and that are on my album came from directly from that show because wow. of things that I was forced to write for that theme. So like, yeah, man, like she's, I love Jen. She's great. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I Jen, I, I haven't known her for very long because I've only been back to Toronto for two years, but very nice, uh, very nice girl, great comedian. I like that when she's on stage, like I've seen her host and I've seen her headline and she just has a very, very cool, chill, authentic vibe. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't have to be like, I know there are some comedians where you're like goofiness is their shtick or going crazy or being loud. She just seems very like in control, but not reserved and stifled. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like she can pierce you with like her look cause she looks fierce and she's beautiful, but also with her jokes. Um, and, and they are funny. I know the edible joke that you're talking about very funny. She does a great act out of her dad. I also really enjoyed her jokes about, you know, her marriage, how she got married in Montreal. There's a reference to Via Rail, which I love, and talking about her husband, uh, who was also a comedian, and just, you know, sharing her vulnerabilities and his vulnerabilities and just being open with it. And I think I like that because it resonates with my style a bit. So, yeah. Great. It's always fun, like when two comedians get married, then you see them both starting to tell marriage jokes, and it's just like, <laughs> let's see if this Which lines up. It's true. Like, <laughs> let's see if this lines up. <laughs> but Patrick Hakeem, that's her her husband. He has a joke basically just about how, like, her jokes. So like his jokes are like, oh yeah, I married this woman. She's way out of my league. She's super hot. She's way out yeah. of my league. And you're like, yeah, story checks out. And then you listen to Jen's jokes. She's like, yeah, I married a fat white. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he's yeah. got he's got big legs. He's got chubby little legs <laughs> yeah. that I want to eat. Ham hocks for wow. Yeah. 
Well, that's that that that's a good uh, that's a good segue for to introduce our topic next week, which will be interracial dating. Um, Ooh, guilty! Yes, it is the it is the topic that might get three of the four of the panelists dumped next week. Cancel, 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 cancel! You're not really by our boyfriends um, or wives. Um, So, uh, Jen Jen Zicato, I actually met her probably like close to seven years ago I think she had just started and mm-hmm. I had asked Gilson Lubin um, friend of the show he, he was a, a guest on last week to talk about um, the defending the police he he worked with me a lot on a charity I started called Comedy Cares and we were raising money for African children um, I believe yeah it was uh, for free the children which is now called we um, and I was looking for for new acts because every show you know obviously we love working with professionals but I find that audiences always like that one fresh face undiscovered talent and so for that particular show that was Jen Sicato. so I think I met her very early like within her first two months of starting comedy and so honestly seeing her journey to now to releasing her first album and just how hilarious it is and seeing her journey and her writing and the support that she's gone from the community. Like I remember she released, I think the album released on May 29th and literally my Facebook feed, my Twitter feed, my Instagram feed was just every Canadian comedian I knew was posting about her album because she had gained that much respect in the industry. So to sort of see her from the very beginning to where she is now, I think we're all just so excited for her and my favorite joke from her is actually, so she she talks about being mixed race. And, um, you know, I've just, I've been in comedy for 15 years. So I've heard like a lot of different jokes about being mixed race. But then she sort of did this twist on it about how being like half white, half Japanese is like, you know, it was exotic like 20 years ago, but now it's like mixed race right. 1.0. And now yeah, there's like yeah, yeah. all these new, more exotic things. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I've never even thought about that anymore. <laughs> like you go from exotic to not. And that like really, like for me, any type of comedy that makes me think twice after 15 years of comedy where I'm like, oh, I've never heard that. That's like super fresh. Um, yeah, that was the one that stuck out for me. And I think her delivery, like for an Asian especially, her voice is a bit deeper and she has like this sort of gravel to it and she just has this really distinct delivery. Like within the first three words, you know, it's her. Like nobody sounds like her and her delivery is so original and her stage presence is amazing. So definitely go check out her album. Again, um, search for Jen Sicato on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon Music, Tidal, everything you can think of. And once live I'll shows... I'll email it to you if you want. Just try it on Disney+. Plus. You know, what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I do want to say she has been a Rice comedian. She's done her live show, so she is part of the Rice family. And I do have a... I'll be posting a long one-hour interview, one-on-one interview I did with her, talking about her album and just sort of her process of creating it. Um, so um, have a look out for that. And that is our show for the week. Thank you so much. Um, thank you to our panelists, um, Leonard Chan. Thanks for having me. Jennifer Shun. Always amusing, guys. <laughs> and Sebastian D. Chow. 
Hey, hey, pleasure to be here. And thank you to you, our listeners, for listening to us. If you loved us, honestly, the best way to help our podcast is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your platform of choice um, because that helps us with the algorithm and more people can discover us that way. So also, if you want a topic for us to discuss, if you have suggestions about an entertainer of the week, you know, uh, an Asian movie of the week, or just a general topic, you know, leave us a review and we, you know, we take a look at those reviews all the time and we will try to incorporate it and we will see you back next week. We survived our first live taping. Um, so, <laughs> but nobody else did. Uh, well, mm. no, yes. one, no one stayed. Uh, I think one person, maybe for like five minutes. Yeah, it was sort of up and down, but you know, we'll we'll start building a following. People, we didn't invite anybody, so this was like a beta test, yeah. so we didn't actually Surprise. tell anybody. Surprise party! No one's invited. Yeah, so ne <laughs> so next week we'll actually be inviting people, but you'll be able to catch us on live streams Tuesday night starting nine p.m. Um, just follow at Vong Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Periscope. Basically anything that you can type at Vong Show. Um, this will be Are you on TikTok? You on Byte? Peloton. Bravo. Okay. Write my name on the chalk in uh, in chalk sidewalk. Uh, so make sure to get up before it rains so you can see my ads. Uh, okay, and that is our show for the week. Thank you. <laughs> It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.